Carrie, and I have to know this first before we really go any further. What is the one road that I should not be driving on anymore? Like you've got to at least have like the most dangerous road in America figured out by now, right? Uh, so we are predicting it in real time and it changes dynamically with conditions. So I can't pinpoint one exactly, but it might not necessarily be the ones that you think. All right. Well, like, give me, give me like the one that's like in the top 10, like consistently, that's just like repeat offender. Uh, sure. So actually we find that a lot of back roads that have steep pitches. So, um, really, uh, big slopes like going downhill can be really dangerous. Actually, they, they tend to be even more dangerous than some of the most high volume, uh, highways in the United States. So there are probably roads you've never heard of, but places where you have definitely hard braked at the very last second to make sure that yeah. you can stop at that stop sign. So that's, and it's an interesting angle because I, I constantly sit at intersections or just in, I'm at a, a spot and like just driving just in life and thinking, man, this feels really dangerous right now. But I feel like I should know if like, it feels like I should know that this is a dangerous spot, but I don't. And there's no reason really why, but then my brain like rationalizes like, oh, like we would, we would know this. Like, yeah, like I, I would know that like five people have died here in the last two years, but I don't. And is that necessarily true or what does that, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, so ODN, my company, builds machine learning models that predict where traffic crashes are going to happen. And the best models, that the best algorithms, the best predictions that you can possibly build are based on experience, right? We observe the world around us and we think, these are conditions under which we expect things to go very wrong. What we do is quantify that. So we take the nerd component uh, and bring the data together and bring the measures together to say, yeah, uh, you know, that road that everybody has in the back of their mind, right? For me, there's a road on I, uh, a Route 9 in Connecticut, just south, south of Hartford, and there's a stop sign on an on-ramp. And I can't tell you how many people I see get into fender bender accidents at that intersection. You're trying to go from zero to 65. Some people get a little nervous. They pause and they get into a fender bender when the person behind them doesn't realize that they didn't merge. And those sorts of things we all have experience with. We all can describe those intersections. We all know one in our mind. It's really that that we can bring the data together. And what we found out actually mathematically to close a loop on that example is that when there are uh, exits and on-ramps, you're more likely to see crashes uh, when the number of lanes changes. So it's going from three merging into two, or there's an on-ramp uh, into an existing lane rather than uh, there being a sort of area to merge. Those areas are really unsafe. So we can sort of mathematically take what we know and then pair that uh, with all the other kind of characteristics about a road that we may not realize are actually causing crashes and mathematically prove where they're most likely to happen. What I, oh, sorry, but what I really want to do is get that information into the people that can do something about it. And that's really what we're working on. Yeah. I also, I know one, I heard one statistic as far as like things that you wouldn't think would cause accidents. Is it true? Also true that it's, it's not even so much. It's the, the idea of slowing down the, uh, the speed limit. So where it goes from like 65 to 55, that also has like, also plays into like the danger, like most accidents. I, I've heard that like maybe a couple years ago. Is that still a thing? Yeah. So it's where things change. People are yeah. not prepared for, um, transition on roadways and that can be changing speed limit it can be changing number of lanes it can be um 
any number of factors. So so just sort of like the unexpected that we're not prepared for simply in part because our maps that we have today, the Google Maps, the ways of the world, don't incorporate that information about, hey, you're about to drive through an unsafe area. And like our commute, we may know well, but certainly not everyone drives the same path every day. You may be on vacation or you may be on business travel or whatever it is that you don't have that um, sort of implicit experience and understanding of where you should slow down or or make sure to pause because everybody runs through that light, right? Um, It's sort of entering new space, new areas that where where things go wrong. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, it's it's, it's fascinating that we haven't really even thought about you know, as how this even relates to insurance and risk up really until this point, right? Because it's kind of, we're still pretty in like pretty blue ocean. Yeah, you're totally right. So the way that personal auto insurance is where we focus for now, although our tool applies to commercial and personal, we've really started with personal lines. Uh, The way that they price auto insurance carriers, price auto insurance right now is largely dictated based on who you are. So your credit score matters the most. More than 50% of your score or your price, ultimate price, is dictated by your credit score. So someone with poor credit ends up paying about $1,000 more than someone with great credit, excellent credit, and a DUI. So it's that important to how what your price will be. In addition, you see some carriers measuring not only who you are, but how you drive. So they'll put a device in your car, get your phone. Oftentimes the cars themselves already have these devices. So if you think about uh, if your car has GPS or OnStar maps uh, built into the dashboard, uh, you're being tracked where you are. And so how you drive, whether you hard brake, whether you speed, that sort of information they've over the last five years sort of added to building a risk profile of customers. But you're right, the big missing piece, it not only matters who you are, how you drive, but where you are. Are you on unsafe roads? Are you on those roads during snowstorms? Are you on those roads when there's a lot of other traffic on those roads? Are you on those roads when high schoolers are getting out of high school and driving really poorly at three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, and you just don't even realize that there are risks on the road around you. So you're totally right. It's a, it's a huge missing genre of risk. It's just we haven't been able to measure it up until maybe 10 years ago, where we saw a proliferation of Internet of Things devices, where we saw these telemetry devices being able to track where drivers go, um, and that they became sort of accepted and ubiquitous in the insurance industry. So we're really thinking, you know, I think, and the reason why ODN exists is we're in a right place at the right time to start measuring the risk of where you drive. I tell you what, I, I drove my kids to Disney on ice in a snowstorm a couple months ago. And I thought this is, this is, I mean, I mean, Disney on ice has to happen, but this might be the most unsafe thing I've ever done. Um, it's, it's crazy to think that again, like, you know, the fact that we've never even really 
allowed that to be a variable is is, uh, is pretty nuts um, because you know we always like to make the excuse like oh it wasn't my fault like there was leaves they were wet it was slippery you know like yeah. but, you know now we might be able even, to- you know i live in new york city the drivers in new york are awful they're actually really great but if you ask people from out of town the drivers in new york city are ap- absolutely awful so it's it's actually the risk of the people around you yeah. and that's where we see a lot of um predictive power in what we do is that Right now, we want to collect more and more information. It makes agents and brokers' jobs really difficult to have to ask the million and one questions and different questions to every customer based on the carriers that they're placing the business with. Look, it doesn't make sense to get to know someone down to the color of their underwear if that one little bit of additional information about that person isn't any more helpful to know what's going on uh, in their risk profile. What's really powerful is when we gather millions of records of data about all of the people they pass on the road around them and start to risk rate the road itself. Now I'm talking about, and if, if there are any you know, math-minded, statistics-minded folks, adding rows adds predictive power. Adding columns, adding details about an individual, not as much. So we think that this actually has revolutionary potential to be um, incredibly important for actuarial models, but more importantly, or and also importantly, you got to ask less questions of people because nobody wants to, you know, sit for three hours to fill out an application for insurance. If they're able to provide you one simple piece of information, where do you live? And better yet, maybe they want to put a device in their car and track where they drive to get a discount. That information, the geographic information about where they are, that's all I need to enable this technology. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Like, the, I mean, just knowing the you know the safety level of the roads at any given time is one thing, but you also have to map it back to that consumer. Um, customer. Yeah, and and so that's probably got to be a little bit of a process in itself. Yeah, what we do is not easy. I'll tell you, we just did a project with the entire state of Texas. There are. 8 million crashes that happened over the last decade. And that number has been increasing year over year. So about 770,000 traffic crashes in the state of Texas last year. That's a lot. Uh, It's probably more than there should be. And we can go into why that is and why it's increasing. But the computational power necessary to just attach those crashes to the roads that they happened on and create a very baseline descriptive map of where crashes are are happening or have happened past tense uh, took 16 hours of computational like my best data scientist, his computer could only run, you know, so fast. It took 16 hours to do that. So. It is taking raw data that's super inaccessible, um, impossible to really extract anything meaningful from, and putting it on the road network, attaching everything to the road network. Now, what we add in addition to doing that like effort of geographic matching is we build predictive models in order to sort of triangulate the many factors that might be contributing to the the likelihood of a crash. So Disney on ice, it was snowing, you were driving on a highway, you were driving with high speed on a highway that has a high speed, on a steep pitch, on a narrow road with no uh, gutter or uh, place to park on the side of the road. All of those factors combined matter 
And it may not be necessarily the snow that's causing the crash, but the sort of combination of the many characteristics that we've assigned to the road. So that's where our predictive model becomes really valuable because it's not just that you're, you know, driving during a snowstorm. It mattered where you drove during that snowstorm as well. Obviously, you said this is revolutionary. It's kind of on the cusp. Uh, what happens when cars get to the point? I know this is a de- highly debated topic, but where are we at when we're looking at vehicles that don't crash into each other anymore? I can't wait. I'm hoping my kids don't ever have to drive. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get there fast enough, but fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about that future, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, and I think anybody who's no one's really fighting that future. It's just a question of when. And that is, to me, a, a sort of red herring question because it's like it'll happen eventually, whether it happens in 5, 25, 150. I think there's there's pretty ubiquitous support for seeing this technology emerge because of the potential it has for um, trans- the future of transportation and mobility, but also public health and safety and elder care and all of the benefits, it's going to happen in some way for some people first. Um, but why I'm super excited about it and why I think it's really important that the insurance industry pay even more attention to what we're doing is because their pricing models are built entirely on the human, who you are and how you drive. So if we remove you from behind the wheel, we're shit out of luck in these models. We have nothing left in order to predict or assess you the risk that you pose to drivers on the road. So this is where where becomes very important, right? Where you are becomes very important. It becomes important because those vehicles need to know how to route the environment around them. They need the baseline characteristics of the of the road. Is there a gutter? Is there a stop sign? And right now, the way that um, those vehicles have been building that data set, building that database of information has been their own proprietary self uh, funded. So like Google isn't about to give you their information for free, FYI, right? It's going to be very expensive to get the information that they know about road infrastructure. So insurance is facing a real crisis. It's they don't have the ability to track that information themselves. And it's going to be really expensive to buy it from Google and then they have nothing left to price auto insurance and we're all left holding the bag. I think they're in for a very rude wake awakening when the reality of autonomous vehicles really does start to emerge. Again, whether that's five years from now, 20 years from now, or 150 years from now, insurance is going to need to change. Well, that's interesting that you brought it up. I mean, what I'm, I was going to say is like that information would even be maybe more valuable to the people building the, you know, the, the algorithm for self-driving mm-hmm. vehicles. Um, you know, they're, yeah. they're tracking, you know, they're, they're tracking, you know, driving, but I don't, they're probably not monitoring it in real time. I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing here, Carrie Ann, but. Totally uh, true. Yeah. Actually today where we see the biggest application for this technology, in addition to personal auto, which is where we started is actually with car sharing. Mm-hmm. So car sharing, you have the Lyft, the Uber, the, the large fleets on the road that are supplying their drivers oftentimes with insights or directions on how they can get from point A to point B most quickly, but they're also insuring those drivers while they're driving. And so if we can inform the path or the route that these car sharing 
can use to optimize not only for how long is it going to take me to get from point A to point B, but where can I reduce my risk exposure so that this driver makes sure to arrive safely at their destination? That's where we see the next big, first next big step. Autonomous, I think, is coming, but that's something we can do right now. I would, I mean, I certainly would not be opposed to uh, get me there the, alive the most, you know, route when selecting an Uber, you know, um, yeah, I might take an extra two minutes, but I think I'll, I think I'll be able to forfeit that two minutes for, you know, getting there in one piece. I, I believe it, Joey. I think every customer, including myself of auto insurance says, I want to know what that says, whether or not I use the information that I get, I want to know where it is safe or unsafe to drive. And we should be giving the drivers that information so that they can make those decisions for themselves and they can modify their behaviors. What's the worst thing that could really happen? Nobody's going to intentionally go on more dangerous roads. That's well. I mean, that's a, that's an entirely different, like, uh, you know, that's like an entire uh, study on sociology of like, just I yeah. want to know the people that picked the more dangerous route. Like, I just want to know who they are, and then maybe yeah. we could we could maybe kind of um, cross reference that with some like gun protection. I don't know, just you know, sort of just put sort of things together because they might just be at a certain higher risk. To, that <laughs> to is cre- a beautiful research question, right? Like. I don't know if you're familiar with progressive insurance did a study on which people were unlikely to recommit a DUI. So they had already gotten a DUI before, but they thought maybe if we swoop in and offer these people relatively affordable car insurance, the rest of the industry is going to price them out because they have a DUI, but we can predict who among that class won't reoffend. And they found that it was dads with children would not commit another DUI, right? Their risk profile had changed. They now were more concerned about something outside of themselves and making sure they got their kids safe to Disney on ice, right? They drove slower, they drove more cautiously, you know, so... Yeah, so it, it resonates very well that if you can find part of the market that... Um, makes different decisions, right? I want to find the soccer mom. I want to find, you know, who's really important to find is a millennial. Oh my goodness. Every millennial, and I'm generalizing, but a, a large amount of millennials have really bad credit. So try differentiating between two millennials, both of which who have no driving history, no financial history, a ton of student debt, and maybe even defaulted on loans prior. So, oh my God, how are we going to figure out who's a good risk and a bad risk of the next generation of 18 to 35-year-olds who have not yet bought cars, but are about to move to the suburbs and start families? So I think there's a great opportunity to sort of find these little pockets that say, you know what, this person's more likely to use this tool. And that in and of itself is a signal that they may be a safer driver. Well, it's like, it's really just like a beautiful simplicity, really just taking it to like common sense level two, right? You know, it's, it, this is stuff that should make sense, but we just, I don't know if it's too clouded by, I don't know what, but like you said, like that makes perfect sense, but it just you know, taking the time and I guess having the ability to see it has really been yeah. the challenge. Yeah. You know, the data didn't exist, so I can't put too much, uh, you know, bad feelings on why it didn't exist before, why this technology didn't exist before, but we're one of the first to leverage massive data resources. So city and state administrative data sets around where traffic crashes happen, 
a Department of Transportation road network infrastructure information, calls for service for light outages, potholes, and the like. I mean, all of this data didn't come online until around 2009 following the uh, Obama Open Data Act, a regulatory act that did encourage um, this data to emerge. So we really are on the cutting, really bleeding edge. And from my perspective as the CEO of ODN, I'm not a consumer-facing business. We work with carriers, with brokers, with agents who are looking to deliver value to consumers who already keep those relationships. The problems I like to solve are the tough math problems and the tough data problems, but I like to work with companies that um, see this as a value-added service for their customer base and who want to uh, develop and deliver on modern technology. I don't want to completely blow this thing up like way be, I mean, we're talking about like things that we just getting a handle on, but I, I'm guessing here, I'm going, I'm going to go one step further. I want to just, I just want to see what you think. There's probably a heavy emotional component to um, the likelihood of accidents as well. I don't know, like if, if, if you like track, like, I'm just guessing here, like outside of courthouses, like after somebody's like divorce is final or like they just got custody taken away. I'm, I'm assuming once we can track like there'll be like, this is a biometrics probably thing more than yeah. it is anything, but have you had any sort of just like, I bet you that's a thing, even though we can't necessarily prove it right now. Yeah. I mean, so there are really interesting new technologies that are coming out in the steering wheels and in the dashboards, um, really dedicated or looking a lot at more distracted driving. So are your eyes on the road or your hands on the wheel? Um, and those are important. The math is saying they're not as important as seatbelts. So will they be as revolutionary as seatbelts? Probably not. Um, what you're talking about is quite interesting. I think it's it's probably a very provocative idea. And the reason is, is that consumers already don't like Big yeah. Brother, right? Like I don't want, as much as I've like given in to everybody having my data, if I have a choice, I don't really want my auto manufacturer or my insurer, uh, you know, being able to track my biometrics and my feelings, right? Like that kind of terrifies me. So I think the direction that it could alternatively go in is to say that instead of caring so much about who I am and how I feel when I'm on the road, if I'm driving in a deserted area with a speed limit of 25 and I'm going the speed limit, if I'm bawling, crying, the likelihood of me having a crash is just, what am I going to hit, right? Like, it's it's low. And what we should really be thinking about is, okay, what if I'm completely happy? It's a bright, sunny, sunny day, but I'm driving directly into the sun, into a blind intersection with a stoplight that I can't see. I think removing the person from the way we've done it. And this is totally different than the way insurance is done now, but not caring so much about who we insure and caring more about the environment in which they operate could be a direction to both satisfy customers and make them feel great about the use of data and technology, but not require them to give more information to me about who they are. And actually, in all of our pilots, we insist that our customers don't share any data with us that could be used to figure out who their customers are. I keep a very strong closed curtain on that because that's a value proposition for us. We'll never know who is impacted by the data that we create and provide 
because it doesn't matter to us. It matters that the people you insure are, you're delivering that information to them. That's your relationship to maintain. Yeah. The sun doesn't mess around. That's one, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Driving directly into the sun turns out to be a very dangerous activity that we all do. <laughs> you know, it, you, think, you think we've just kind of um, in, in some way um, just, we failed in technology or just in general, because you, you look at a stoplight that, that mm-hmm. is in the same direction as like the sun. You're like, I can't see this thing. Like yeah. we've come so far in life, but yet I can't see this light with the sun behind it. Can uh-huh. we please just focus on the small things of where we're just not trying hard enough? Yeah. And, you know, we talk a lot in the state of Florida. We're about to launch a, a, a pilot project uh, in the state of Florida. And it will, in three months' time, develop a risk profile of all of the roads in the state of Florida. Super exciting uh, to be on the on the precipice of this technology. But what was really fascinating when we worked with departments of transportation in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, we talked to them, we said, what kind of road infrastructure data can we get to feed into our models? And Fort Lauderdale said, we've got the location of every stop sign because every time there's a hurricane that comes through, those stop signs get ripped up, turned around, torn out. We have a lot of crashes. So we decided to make an investment in tracking where those stop signs were so that we could just drive around once after the hurricane and repair or replace those that we knew should have been there, but uh, were no longer there. We went to Miami and they were like, yeah, we don't track where our stop signs are yet. And that may have changed since we last spoke, but uh, what do they do? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) what do they do when the same hurricane hits them, right? They have a ton of people just blowing through intersections because there's no stop sign there anymore through no fault of their own. Miami, uh, get your life together. Um, <laughs> oh, I love Miami. Shout out to uh, Miami. They, their Department of Transportation is trying really hard to bring a lot of really innovative companies and technologies into the space, but they have you know a lot of challenges, not the least of which is hurricanes. Yeah, well, no, plenty of fine insurance folks down in Miami, that's for sure. But uh, you know, this is interesting, and my mind is just kind of thinking through scenarios, and I'm curious if you've thought of them. Um, sure. You know, with this, again, with this information of like roads and you're going to know what roads aren't safe, but then it's also going to inform how to make roads safer. Um, and we're kind of at a, at least we were a couple of years ago, like an infrastructure crisis of, you know, we have not really kept up with where they should be. And even like trying to build, like, I, I remember, I can't remember exactly the stat, but like, you know, wh- when the interstate system was developed, like we're not even close to anything like that to radically transform transportation again, but awesome. being on the cusp of that again, like we could use this information to say, well, instead of making it bend here, it should bend this way. So on and so forth. Have Like, where are we at on that? Like, what, what are you thinking on that? Yeah. Uh, so our pedigree at ODN is really starting. We started as a GovTech in 2015. We sold exclusively to governments before we ever even thought about going into insurance. We were working in an even harder market to sell into, m- even more slow moving uh, sales cycle. Uh, so we sold to governments. And what we would do is go in and chat with them about what their big pain points were in achieving reductions in traffic crashes. They have a very strong vested interest because no mayor wants to get up and say, so-and-so, you know, young child was killed in a car crash in their community. And those numbers are going up and they've committed to reducing crashes in 
there's a, an initiative called the Vision Zero Initiative, and 40 mayors across the U.S. have committed to it. It's an international initiative. And yet, crashes are going up for a variety of reasons. So they're eager to know, what can we do? Where can we do it? When should we do it? How should we do it? And, and like, when can we get started? Uh, so, for example, we work with the city of Chicago, and one of their major challenges is they want to fill potholes quickly, uh, but they have more potholes, you know, following a really awful winter than they can keep pace with. So they're, they'll get to a pothole, but it might not be the first one on their list. So what we did was say, okay, can we pair this information you know, in discussions with them, can we pair this information with information about where the road is dangerous and help you prioritize how you send work crews out? So you go to those places, those roads that are likely to have crashes and also have potholes contributing to those crashes first. That way, at least you're optimizing to reduce crashes and save lives rather than the way that they do it now, which is unfortunately, you know, the squeakiest uh, wheel gets the grease, which is, you know, somebody who's oftentimes retired, doesn't have a lot to do other than call the Department of Transportation and complain, is saying, I need you to come out and paint this crosswalk because yeah. I walk my dog over this crosswalk every day and I want you to fix it. When that is taking resources possibly away from greater priorities. And so this tool is giving them the ability to go back to that retiree and say, we hear you, we want to get to your issue, we're putting you at this spot on the list, here's your estimated wait time to get your crosswalk fixed. But in the meantime, what we're doing is targeting our resources to the location where if you're driving, you might end up having a car crash because the likelihood of you being in a crash on those roads is, is more than your neighborhood. And so that, I think, is going to be super powerful value add to the governments that we work with. Um, if I can add, to though, I don't think governments are the be-all, end-all people to fix this challenge. So a future might be public-private partnerships between insurance carriers, brokers, whomever in the insurance industry with government to say, how can we finance resources like putting in stoplights in intersections that have a lot of crashes because of speed or speed humps in those areas or fixing light outages, making sure you're investing in light bulbs that will stay uh, on longer or measure traffic volume so you get a sense of how many cars are on the road because the carriers at the end of the day are holding the bag and there's a real financial interest in, in reducing crashes. So mayors out there can only do so much. They can put police officers in an intersection. They can um, you know, try to fix things. They can put education campaigns. They can try to do road reengineering, but it's exceptionally expensive to do. So I think it's more or less that there's an alignment of interest and how it plays out and who pays for it might actually change uh, in the future to be that your insurance carrier ends up installing a traffic light uh, or a speed hump. You know, this speed hump brought to you by Travelers Insurance uh, because it's in their best interest to do that in targeted areas. I mean, they certainly have more on the line than the city does or the, you know, the state or whichever government entity is in charge of it currently. Um, 
I tell you what, certainly. Not. I tell you what, though, yeah. um, if if we could do one thing, I think I have a new business for us, Carrie Ann, if we if we want to on okay. the side, uh, just somebody that provides some sort of progress meter to an ongoing construction project, just to like my personal sanity of saying this is this is going to be done when I can put it in my head, and I think it's going to probably reduce road rage by like at least fifty percent. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for us to do some really cool customer engagement sort of conversations around how might you might sh- how you might change your behaviors if you had this data. Um, I think there's a lot of like innovation out there that's trying to do customer engagement really uh, um, as a tack on band aid, like make the app better, but the yeah. core service of the app sucks, right? So this is doing customer engagement in a totally different way. It's saying like we're just going to give you something we think you'd like. Um, and we're going to give it to you in a way that you can use it. And I have yet to meet a person inside or outside of insurance that isn't at least curious to know where in my neighborhood is it, is it unsafe to drive. Is it, is it still legal to just like roll out like a spike strip, like on your, on your street, if like they're going like 45, cause I mean, I tell you what, I never thought I'd be that guy, like at the edge of his road, like slow down, but like got the kids playing outside and these, the teenagers, these, these teenagers just fly up and down the road. I'm like, come on, man, come on. Just one of the most dangerous places and times to be on the road is near a high school at three o'clock. It's good to know. FYI. So that you're saying those uh, school speed limit signs are not doing much right now. Yeah, you know, teen boys will be teen boys. Uh, so unfortunately, if you I, I, you can lay down the spike strip in your neighborhood, but figuring out how to uh, control the hormones and testosterone of a of a generation of teenagers is is still a challenge. <laughs> Fair enough. That's certainly another podcast for another day. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably a different topic altogether. But um, you know, what does this all mean? I guess if 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 you know, what does this all mean to, you know, an agent, you know, in their agency, like, man, this is fantastic. Like, I can't wait, but it feels, it feels like it's, you know, an arm's length away, at least for them at the moment. Um, yeah. You know, how are we, how are we going to change the ultimate way this impacts insurance? It's such a great question. And you know what? I talked to my business advisor this morning about this exact question, because what we sell to insurance carriers is a really complicated product. It's like I mentioned, 16 hours of machine learning running on a very like expert data scientist um, has to be validated and quantified. The value has to be quantified with the carers. It's a very complex product. What we're doing now, and now's the right time to explore partnerships, is breaking that product into more accessible Uh, features for folks that still add value. So I mentioned before, a map around where you live or where you work. There's no reason why an agent couldn't walk in to a place of business that has vehicles um, that drive. So like a, you know, a NACO delivering auto parts or a pizza delivery company, or go to potential, you know, personal auto customers and say, hey, I've developed this profile for you. This is the type of information I want to keep providing you over the course of our relationship. Particularly, again, with millennial drivers who carriers are having a hard time finding good millennial drivers. So I think there's a great opportunity to take just the core basics. The here's a risk profile of the crashes, the recent crashes that may have happened around you. Here's places you can be mindful of avoiding or having your teen driver, a millennial driver avoiding. Um, those sorts of tools are 
step one in a 50 step process for the carriers. And that's where we're saying, why don't we just hand this information over, share this information and start to test the value so that we have numbers to demonstrate, you know what, customers love this product. So thank you for helping me make a sales pitch in that moment. Uh, For those listening, I would love to partner and see where uh, it makes sense to provide that data. No, I mean, listen, if you need if you need a, a beta tester one, I'll gladly uh, pull out the lawn chair, sit in my front yard and just like take some license plates down like, yo, like this guy right here. We just need to figure something out because I got I, better to do. Oh, my goodness. So funny side story. I recently moved to New York City about two years ago, which in New York City is recent, takes like five years to just know a corner of the city. Um I moved from DC and I call it the Harlem alarm clock because there is always some guy who sits outside our window at seven o'clock in the morning, beeping his horn Mm. for somebody to come, you know, either pick up a package or get into the car to go to work, whatever it may be. But man, if I could get his license plate one of these mornings, um, the Harlem alarm clock wakes me up every morning, 717 in the morning. There's always one of those. You just wish their auto insurance was a little bit more expensive. Hey, I'm down. I, th- I think we actually, we'll start a petition right now. I think we've got a lot of volunteers that there's probably a alarm clock somewhere that, or the equivalent that would be just thrilled to be able to um, kind of put somebody on alert, be like, hey, your time's up, man. It's, uh, we've got the power of the people here. <laughs> Love it. Um, kind of finishing. I mean, you're already, I mean, I, I ask this question a lot, but I'm curious, you know, somebody in your position, you know, what you would maybe come up with, but, you know, with everything that we've talked about, what is even still one thing that you would like to see maybe expedited just kind of, or viewed as less of a threat to just really making more of this a reality sooner? Yeah. So one thing that I'm going to not focus on tech, I'm going to focus on the personal relationship side of insurance. So one thing I see as a startup founder, the most helpful people thus far to us in the industry, and we've been playing in insurance for now a little over two years, have been people who are retired. Folks who have a lot of industry expertise, um, spent their lives, careers dedicated, who now have a little bit more free time on their hands, who may be playing golf, um, but also looking to give back to the industry in a way that they can see their legacy continue beyond you know what they were able to achieve in a formal career. We have found the greatest mentors, the best advice, the most connections, the most friendship and collegiality coming to folks who have retired. So I would say I, whenever I walk into a sort of a networking event or have the opportunity to ask for something specifically, it's like, I want to meet your dad that sold insurance. Right. I want to know that guy a little bit better because helping startup companies better understand their market, you need time and you need expertise. And the people at the top of insurance agencies and brokerages and carriers, that's one thing they don't have a ton of. The people at the top don't have a ton of time to spend on building ideas and to uh, shepherd a new company that may not have figured out their value proposition exactly right on the first go. So I would love to see the industry really formalize a sort of mentorship community around retirees 
and an association sort of of retirees that they work with startup companies to help them prepare to enter this market that is highly regulated, very detailed, takes years to know and understand. It has been helpful and a successful strategy for us. And I just want to help others maybe see the benefits of that as well.